Hello and welcome aboard Fighting Catholic Jet Lag. My name is JC and I'll be your host for this podcast. I'm a flight attendant and I'm on a journey to find my place within the Catholic Church. I'll be accompanied by my friend and co-host, Father Larry Hostetter, a priest of 34 years and a doctor of sacred theology. He's a Catholic University president. And for our discussion, he'll serve as spiritual ground control to keep things on course for our flight back to faith. We'll be navigating through difficult and uncomfortable issues, so prepare for a bit of turbulence along the way. There won't always be easy answers, but no subject will be off the table. If you're ready to explore your own doubts and questions and reclaim your faith with us, then sit back, buckle up, relax, and enjoy our flight to faith. Snoop Dogg says, if you're always ready, you ain't got to get ready. Did you watch that? <laughs> yes. Welcome, everyone, to Finding Catholic <laughs> Jet Lag. And I hope you're enjoying uh, this little dialogue between our co-host, mm-hmm. uh, J.C. Hartz. I'm Father Larry Hosser, but she was talking to our director and producer, Rebecca Sapp. And so they were talking about some exciting things. With the Olympics. the Olympics. Well, you know, I'm I'm really into it. I've been really excited. Uh, so Team what, USA. What, what, what's been your favorite episode or favorite event so far? It's kind of sad about what happened with gymnastics, isn't you it? You know what, though? Did anyone not see this coming? The pressure they were putting on this girl. They made her pose with a goat, for goodness sakes. Goat? Because she's the goat greatest of all time is what uh-huh. goat stands for. But it's like all these adults were putting all their yeah. hopes and dreams on this young woman and good Today I saw her press conference and she's with the other four girls because they ended up taking silver. And one of the, um, they were just asking questions, just trying to get like a sound bite. So asking everything over and over again. And they asked Suni Lee, um, Oh, so you're up against so-and-so from the other team this week. Um, what do you think about her building yours? And Simone piped up and said, Stop pitting us against each other. She needs to concentrate on what she's doing, and we need to be excited for whatever that other gymnast is doing. And because if we hope that our our who we're up against are going to fail, then we're going to fail, and that's not how we need to approach this. I'm like, well, good for her. Yeah, because I think maybe this hopefully this younger generation isn't going to allow themselves to be you know used and manipulated maybe the way other generations. Absolutely, I think what what she did for. Um, sports, women's sports, all sports. She did more in her deciding to step away for her mental health than I think anyone yeah. has ever done. Yeah, but not, um, not to change the subject too much, but to change it, tell mm-hmm. us what you did in Guatemala. Because oh. last week we were telling people you were heading to Guatemala. And so you all took some uh, different things to help kids out so in, in need. That's what we'll be doing in the future, I believe. But for this trip, we were vetting a school. I really enjoyed it. This It was my first time to Guatemala, as I said. And um, we hung out at a school. Uh, it was about two hours from Guatemala City. And we really got a chance to see what we would be doing or what I would be doing because this was my first trip, really. So in the future, you hope to become more involved. So in the, in the future, we'll be working more with the children. But this time, we just went down to them oh, and cool. went really great. So we stayed there for a couple of days um, 
at the school and did a little tour and checked it out and met a few of the kids and it was really cool. And then we went to Antigua, which is a little closer to the airport. It's about an hour. And we stayed there the last night and I fell in love with it. And I, I say this every trip I grow, go on, that this is my favorite and I can't wait to bring Ben, but I really mean it. So when, when you're flying back, uh, do you get kind of judgy of, of the other flight attendants if they don't know that you're a flight attendant? Oh, no, yet? never, never. I, well, as a flight attendant, when you get on board, whether you're flying your metal or a different carrier, you always say, my name is JC. I'm a flight attendant. I'll be in seat 2A. If there's anything I can do, let me know. And that's good to do just because we, we try and take care of each other. But also, I learned a valuable lesson with that. I said that. Once when I was commuting in for a trip to Paris and I was taking the later flight and I, I said my usual thing and I'll be here if I can help with anything. And so I sit down, put my headphones in and we get up in the air and I'm sitting next to this woman. We get up in the air and I'm just doing my thing. Eyes are closed. And I remember hearing something weird and I like you just you kind of know the sounds or the what do you call it? A mouse, the, the smells and bells, you mm -hmm. know, the smells and bells. Right. And something wasn't right. And I thought, that's weird. I think the landing gear should have been up by now. Like, whatever. I'm going back to sleep. I have a long flight ahead of me. So uh, a few minutes later, I hear the announcement. But my headphones were in. I'm like, oh, she's just letting us know the snacks, mm -hmm. whatever. The woman next to me grabs my arm and she's like, did you hear what she said? And I'm in plain clothes, by the way. And I'm like, what? And at that time, the flight attendant comes walking swiftly back and she has a piece of paper and she hands it to me. And she said, I need you to be ready. And I look, I, so I take the piece of paper and it said, uh, she said, our landing gear won't go up. We couldn't fly all the way to Atlanta with the landing gear down. So we will be met by a medical personnel. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen when I, I just, I need you to be ready. It was on a commuter flight. So we only had one flight attendant. So I put it down and the woman next to me said, that's bad. Right. And I said, Oh no, we do this all the time. And when we landed, she's like, what's all this? And she's like, you were lying. I'm like, I was definitely lying. The fire rescue. And yes. The she's like, what were you? And I'm like, I was definitely lying, but I knew we would be okay. But there's no reason can't take your flight. It's in a face off. So uh, it was Bastille Day in Paris. And I was meeting some friends. We were working the trip together. So my sister-in-law, Julia, came up to Evansville, picked me up and drove me to Louisville so I could fly to Atlanta and make my flight for Bastille Day. Yeah. I'll have to post pictures. Well, I had nothing exciting like that happen it was, to me yeah. this past week. But, but uh, when you're in flight attendant mode and you're commuting, it's like, you just, you know, you have to be there by sign in. So any, so a bigger emergency than, I mean, as we're landing, I'm calling Ben because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. So he's kind of used to getting these texts where it's like, worst turbulence of my life. I love you. <laughs> you know, so I'm calling him and I'm like, we're having an emergency landing right now. I just wanted to let you know. Luckily, I was able to make it, but yeah. yeah. And this would be a perfect place to put Ben's commercial in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't. Okay. So anyway, on flying back, you know, I, I, uh, we were really lucky. We got first class. There were extra seats, so we got to sit up front. And um, the flight attendant. When you're a flight attendant and you're being served by a flight attendant, it's, you just have 
even more gratitude. Right. You know, it's you feel embarrassing. Probably. Yeah, feel, you don't. Uh, you make sure your trash is picked up and all of that. And um, I'm having to transfer back to Atlanta now because my commute. It's post COVID. It's it's impossible to commute anymore. So she was an Atlanta based flight attendant. So we sat up and kikied for a little while in the galley, and she was telling me all the hot goss in Atlanta and. She was great. So yeah, no, no judgment. More so just like they get, like they make the flight better and we want to make it better for them as passengers. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you all have may have noticed um, if you are any of our social media pages that we did a little bit of an experiment with pink, <laughs> the color pink. Yeah. Worried me a little bit. Why is that? A little bit Tell of a pink phobia is not the right word, but. Yeah. A, an abhorrence <laughs> okay why is that and it's not because it's pink because it's, it's a girly color in fact pink until the early 20th century was considered a very masculine Heard color that. yeah yeah um real men real men were pink first grade april 1967 uh yeah. had my Put us there. yeah seventh <laughs> birthday party seventh mm-hmm. yeah and my mother and our neighbor's mother decided to have a common birthday party with me and the neighbor girl because we had our birthdays were on the same Wait, day. Is this Marianne? The one who used Rosemary. to be? Is this Rosemary? You no, know, I, I think it might have been Rosemary too, but I'm not 100% Rosemary's sure. Rosemary's back. The saga yeah, continues. Yeah, the saga Again, continues. Rosemary, if you're out there, please write us. We want to hear your <laughs> recollection of events. Yeah, you know how memories go. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, they we invited all our friends. So there was boys and girls at this party. It was a pretty big group. Co-ed party. Yeah, birthday party. And seven years old. And my mother made a chocolate cake for me and my buds. And Rosemary's mother made a pink, probably strawberry cake. Yeah. Which actually, now I can eat. It's okay to eat. It's not not terrible. And um, at the party, our moms, this is 1968. So, you know, they're hip, mini skirt wearing young women. Mrs. Hostetter. Uh, yeah, she went by. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she decided, they decided that, you know, they were going to bend the gender rules a little bit back then. What? And so they, but rather than giving us a choice, they made the boys eat the pink cake and the girls eat <laughs> the chocolate cake. Well, How did I that go wanted over? that chocolate cake. <laughs> that was my cake. And I had to eat the pink cake. And for years, I could not eat anything pink after <laughs> that. I was I was traumatized over a pretty silly thing, <laughs> but uh, actually I had some strawberry cake not too long ago. So I think after what 60, 53 years childhood trauma, I'm over it. Childhood traumas. Yeah. So when I saw the pink on our tile and our logo, I thought, hmm, yeah, yeah. Well, we the you know why we went with pink, right? Uh, well, we actually we got an email from a view, from a viewer, and it was. At Marianne at gmail's <laughs> Rosemary. Rosemary at gmail.com. And she's like, I'm sure she does not remember that because she got the chocolate cake and we probably wasn't traumatized by that at all. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, one of the coolest parts about Guatemala, so they have the school and they built a chapel. And <laughs> I actually want to show this to you. Okay, so here's the chapel. Oh, that's pretty. And it's huge windows. Oh, wow. And so, and it's a children's chapel, which is really cool. And I was talking to Dr. Will Runza. This is Opal House. And that's the lake in the background. And I said, I, I loved it because 
I told him about our podcast and uh, it's a Catholic school that's, right. you know, and I, I was telling him about it and saying, you know, we, we were talking about where you find God and whether it's in a cathedral and sometimes it's not. And I said, I love this church because I'm able to not only look at the Eucharist, but I'm able to look beyond and see I'm looking at what man has built and then I'm looking beyond it to see what God has built through the whole thing. And he's like, you got it. That's exactly it. You got it. So, but one of the things I thought was really cool was all of the children's things in there that they used to explain mass. They had like the, like little, like the priest robes and child size. So then, you know, whenever they talk about it. it. Yeah, well, that, that yeah. yeah. So, but they're like, oh, the green, it. what color is this? And why do you think we use mm-hmm. this? And so I had said, I loved it. It was filled with toys, but then the, the kids will have mass. And it really reminds me of kind of what we're doing, where we're seeing, we're peeling back the layers. And it's like, we're approaching this as children, if we can. And that's how we're learning. And it's like, having those images in there helped me to really feel God in there because I'm seeing the children's toys and I'm approaching it through a more childlike mind and I I could feel it more, you know, and it, it just felt there was no judgment. I know I keep saying that, but there was no, nothing hindering my ability to connect of, oh, I should know what this is. It's like, no, this is child size. And it was just really cool. So I, I like that. that. Yeah. So um, moving on to clarification, before we move on to clarification, uh, I want to demonstrate that I am not just some Neanderthal obtuse male who doesn't notice things. Oh, did, but, did a viewer write that in? No. Oh. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to comment that JC is wearing the same uh, sleeved blouse that she was going on and on about uh, a couple of episodes ago that the sleeves were uh, especially unique. Mm. So so you're uh, saying that by calling out an outfit that I already wore, you're more aware of what... I was being trying to demonstrate that I'm not uh, unobservant, but I, you probably don't want people to know that you wore an outfit <laughs> more than once. But the effort is appreciated. We're just going to take this baby steps. <laughs> All right, let's get to clarification. That was was my clarification. That was good. Do you have anything? I know. Don't you feel so hinted? I think we've been pretty on target (laughs) lately. Don't need to do any clarification, do we? Uh, Barb didn't have anything. Well, good. Yeah. Good. good. Yeah. And uh, um, can't wait to have her on the show sometime. Oh, she she would love it. We had actually a really great conversation today. I was on the phone with her and it's kind of just telling her about what we were about to talk about. And she has a pretty neat perspective. Um, and so our sub that kind of leads us into our subject. So our fish and chips for our fish and chips. I think our I fish like and potatoes, our fish and potatoes, but I think I like fish and chips. Fish and chips. Rebecca loves fish and chips. Brilliant. Why is that? Well, it's, She's it's the most famous British dish there is, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to Rome, when you go to Rome and you go to, uh, I believe it's the Piazza Farnese. Um, there is a alley that sells fried uh, cod. It's called bacala in in uh, Italian. And and you get it. You wait in line, and there's an old lady 
with all this fish in this giant tub of oil, just boiling away, frying away. She reaches down, grabs one, wraps it up in some brown paper, and you take it out and eat it. And you delicious. just eat it as you yeah. walk. Yeah. That's not, amazing. Not Italian dining, as a lot of people think of Italian dining, but it's one place you should go to eat. So anyway, we're here at Fish and Potatoes, all of that. which we just named last week yeah. in honor, instead of calling it meat and potatoes, the core. And we actually got here pretty quick this time. Yeah. Uh, fish to honor our Catholic heritage yeah. as having been discriminated against and disparaged at one time as fish eaters. And or chips a- to honor our producer. An editor. Yeah, maybe we should call it fish, fish and, and chips, chips instead of fish and potatoes. See how the evolution happens? It's Catholic and Church of England in one. That's right. Fish and chips. We are ecumenism in action. We are ecumenism in action. And let's go ahead so for our viewers who don't know what yeah. ecumenism ecumen- is. So if I, if I had, using context clues, I would say accumulating. No. Mm-mm. Uh, E-C-U-M-E-N-I-S-M. Mm. Yeah, tell us. And it just means when Christian churches work together towards unity. Okay, cut that, and I'm going to say, so I think it's when Christian churches work together <laughs> in unity. Is that correct? That is perfect. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, keep rolling. So we, and I want to thank you all, oh, those of you that have written. Welcome. Oh. Not you, but okay. thank you, too. Thank yeah, you to both time. of you. Anytime. Um, People have actually uh, responded to our call to send us questions and comments on... Wait a minute. Yeah. We've gotten emails. Is that 1,772 emails? Uh, Yes. (laughs) If he hasn't gotten back to you, you're not the only one. And those are are just the ones that... (laughs) Yeah, those are just the ones that haven't been opened yet. Oh, my gosh. Is it like pre monthly no no most of this is is work related or something something it's like lives of the saints yeah, yeah. a weekly uh, so folks if you are one of the people waiting for me to respond to an email this is why because we ain't uh, doing it i well i i get to them eventually yeah it me hey it, every email was appreciated just haven't when you get this yeah, much. So the, the yeah. good news is I'm not getting the Instagram or the Instagram messages <laughs> and what's the that email, is good news. email. So if you have questions uh, or comments, go ahead and send us an email or post on yeah. the Instagram, right? Or on any of our Facebook accounts that mm-hmm. is related to this. Yeah. We really, really appreciate it. You all tell me what we're getting. So okay. we're getting some great emails, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great comments. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We we have really appreciated how many people have reached out to us. We're getting a lot of great emails and each of us are, when we're reading it, we're, we're really identifying with it and we're, we're thinking, oh, thank goodness, people are getting it. We're not alone in this. And so we really appreciate it. So ha- do you got something for yeah, us? Yeah. And I thought maybe what we could do, or we thought what we could do is uh, maybe go through some of these emails anonymously. We don't want to necessarily let uh, tell everybody who sent us the email but and some of them function really wonderfully as springboards into our conversation so the first email we got is from a very faithful listener who's listened to all of our podcasts and has really? written to us and um shares some of the concerns that you all have you specifically jc have brought to this podcast and i thought maybe we would just read it yeah. and comment um and see where it goes oh, great. It sound like I love it. All right. 
So can, are you, you're not going to say the name. Are you going to say their no. baptismal name? No. no identifying factors. I don't think there's any identifying okay. factors <laughs> uh, because I think people might figure out who this is. Okay. Um, Ready for it. So one of the aspects of Catholicism that draws me to it is that it has such a rich tradition and practice of learning and seeking answers and knowledge. Mm. And that's true. I mean, we talked about faith-seeking understanding, right? Mm -hmm. As mm -hmm. what the, the definition of theology, that we're always searching for more, trying to understand more, and none of us has it all mm -hmm. at any given moment. So here's what she said. She has is, is her issue. But my issue is that I don't mm -hmm. think I really believe in a personified God. Mm -hmm. I sometimes think that we humans need to humanize God to be able to come to any kind of understanding of and connection to the divine. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that means? I think, I think she's on point with that. Um, we're trying to identify it, like um, trying to assign gender to God, trying to assign different things that, um, God isn't human. Ways of relating, human. ways of relating to God. So we yeah. do, we do, we anthropomorphize God. You know, we, even the earliest stories of God in, in the book of Genesis, God was walking through the garden, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so that made God appear in a very human mm -hmm. way. And I think that it's good on the one hand in that it provides us with something relatable. Mm -hmm. It's not so good on the other hand in that we have a tendency then to limit God to our understanding of who we are. And we think God is just like us. So rather than God creating us in God's image, we create God Ooh. in our image. Say that one again. Instead of creating ourselves in God's image, we create God in our image. In our image. Yeah. And we do that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, I we mean, do. You know, so. And that's, that's problematic. What I'm hearing is because if I'm creating God in my image, then that means that this God that I've created is not in your image because you and I are different. And so we're creating a God into something that is not what God is. Right. And whose image is more likely of God than to be the, the dominant one in any culture? The people in power. Oh. You know, I mean, why, why is it that God is often depicted as a white old man? Mm-hmm. Because that, in many situations, is who was in power. And so, obviously, God looks like the old white man. Right. Uh, and there are actually even depictions of God, you know, right. as, you know, God yeah. with a beard and, you know, old and grizzled. Um, and, you know, it, it, the Jewish tradition always resisted mm -hmm. creating any images of God, as does the Muslim tradition, for that reason. Yeah. Because it ends up being an idol. So even when we imagine God as this old man, you know, sitting around in heaven, that that really is an idol mm -hmm. that we've created. And it, it is a way of, I think, of getting the, the strong in a culture, in this case, in the Western world, um, white males, mm -hmm. a patriarchal system, to control things, to, to maintain control over things. So why is the imagery of God so important? Uh, for that very reason, because it can be abused. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 important for a number of reasons. One is that we have to each, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago. We each of us have to find the image that we relate to, and helps us to understand God's love for us, mm-hmm. um, however that might be. Um, but on the other hand, we have to recognize that all that is is our imagination trying to make a connection. Mm-hmm. And so, from the point of view of this email. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that, um, uh, that we do have a tendency to humanize God um, in order to come to, as the email states, a kind of understanding of and connection to the divine. But then I noticed this was interesting in this in this email. My relationship to a higher power, whatever he, she, it is called, feels more like a connection to a loving, positive energy spirit. I sometimes feel it's a thread of loving energy that is in me, is all pervasive, is in all life, and it's all interconnected by the loving energy, not just life, but all things that exist now have ever existed and will exist. And then this person writes, this may sound new age and hackneyed, but um, it may not be germane to fighting Catholic jet lag, but it's absolutely germane because that is a perfect definition, even though the email writer says that she's not sure that she believes in a personified God, God, but describe a beautiful image of a personal mm-hmm. and maybe not personified. If by personified we mean in, in the shape of a human, but personal God. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's who God is. I mean, that is just the best description. Yeah. Uh, of a, of a, of God, I think. Um, uh, connection to a loving, positive energy spirit, thread of loving energy that is in me, all pervasive, is in all life and all interconnected by the loving energy, not just life, but all things that exist now and has ever existed and will exist. And it's that divine energy, spirit, person that, of course, for us as Christians becomes incarnate in Jesus Christ and takes on the mantle of of human nature Mm -hmm. in addition uh, to uh, Jesus's divine nature. But to be able to look at God as just love, just this vast love. What St. John says in the gospel, God is love. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I was referring to, St. John's <laughs> Gospel. Yeah, no, I love this. Keep going. Okay, so uh, the next thing this person writes is, it, after actually spelling out a great truth, it seems to me that the Bible and related stories, texts, etc., are just attempts to help people find a way to connect to and understand God and somewhat of a, a blueprint to lead a good and useful life. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. That that is not an anti-Christian or an anti-Catholic statement. The mm-hmm. Bible was written by human beings mm-hmm. for the purpose of helping to understand who God is, who we are, who we are in relationship to God, and what the meaning of life is all about. Mm-hmm. And it is written, and it's written in you know we'll probably have a section on the Bible sometime. Uh, it's written with poetry. Mm-hmm. It's written with history. It's written with um, 
actually even erotic poetry in the uh, Song of Songs. Uh, there are proverbs and wise statements. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all sorts of wonderful things in the Bible, mm-hmm. all of it doing exactly what this email writer says. Mm-hmm. I can even believe... You should let her write a few. I know. We need, <laughs> need to bring her on if she's willing yeah. to. I can even believe that the Bible and other belief systems, religious texts, are inspired by God, presented in a way compatible with a given culture. So this, in this case, this person is saying that the sacred writings of uh, Hinduism, Islam, uh, might also be inspired by God mm-hmm. in the same way that the Christian scriptures are compatible with a given culture. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with saying that religions throughout the world are people trying to understand who God is and how God relates to us in a way that is unique to that culture. We can identify Buddhism as an example of that, Hinduism, uh, Islam to an extent, um, that those are all uh, ways that, that that people tried to reach God, to understand God, and they used their culture to create a system, a religious system, mm-hmm. to help them do that. This person then describes herself as a cultural Catholic with these caveats of her belief, which mm-hmm. are actually pretty consistent, I think, with Catholic belief, and says, I wonder if there is a place in the Catholic Church for someone with my beliefs. Furthermore, if the need, desire to belong to a group of those seeking God... Wait a minute, I still have something in there. Finish it, please. Yeah. Um, I'm getting fussed at for fidgeting again, folks. So if you're hearing little noises, can we all agree that a couple little noises (laughs) here and there doesn't, isn't that disruptive? Where's your coloring book? Oh, (laughs) grab the coloring book. Yeah, they bought me a coloring book so that I have something to do while I'm talking. Uh, Because apparently I'm disruptive and making noise and drives people crazy. I didn't say it. Those were your words. No, I'm just kidding. So, Um, yeah. um, So, Father Larry. Let us know. You know, hey, if you you just don't want to write anything deep and profound in your emails. Tell us what you think the noises are. Let us at least know that. Uh, my fidgeting is not disrupting you. No, we want to know what you Are you, you team JC or team Hofstetter? Is he crushing a can or is he drumming his fingers? Uh, <laughs> also, uh, we're going to put this, our producer, Rebecca, uh, bought me a really kindly, nice uh, coloring a book, which you can see through the microphone. We'll hold so, it up for a picture. Father Larry so is that- going to complete... May, hope maybe one of these an episode, and we are going to raffle off. <laughs> hey, you can bid, <laughs> so we can pay for our microphones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that looks great. So, yeah, call dibs on it. Okay. All right. So anyway, going back, going back. Okay. Um, wonders if there is a place in the Catholic Church for someone with my beliefs, and my argument would be. Absolutely, yes, because what this person has described in this email, I find nothing that is contradictory to the Christian faith. Right. Um, Well, and, 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 uh, you know, God is a personal God that recognizes that and that God can't be limited to one culture or to one image that we might have of God. Right. Right. Well, going back to what we talked about last week, 
I know everyone has a place at the table, but is everyone allowed to eat? Yeah. Okay. I thought it would get tough. So we actually got a couple of other emails asking that same question. And we had said a while back that we were going to talk about the whole President Biden thing and communion. And I think we will still probably do that as we get closer to the bishops meeting. Uh, yeah. But it's from what I'm hearing across the aisle, no matter where you stand politically or religiously, it seems that it, for the most part, I'm, I'm getting the same thing. How can, how can people restrict be in charge of the Eucharist? You might need to cut this out, but what I'm thinking is, who do you think you are? How do you how do you think you have the authority? Yeah. And to me, well, I don't. Right, not you. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you would, no. I, how? What makes what makes someone think that they have the authority to guard the Eucharist? To to you know Damn. hold it ransom. And to say, and they get to choose who gets it or not. To me, if if there has been there have been a lot of offenses, but this one really tops it for me because what I'm hearing from other Catholics and what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking is, if anyone isn't good enough to receive the Eucharist, then none of us are. And as Pope Francis said, Eucharist, the host, it is food for the starving. It right. is not a reward for the perfect. Right. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I I think before we get into my thoughts, it's probably good to make sure we understand what it is that the church says about inter, what's called intercommunion, communion between different denominations and, and such. And, and you're right. So this uh, isn't, a, we're not, so this isn't particularly what you're about to cover. This isn't about President Biden. No, it's in, in general. Other non-Catholics. Yeah, in it. general, there's a, yeah, in general, there's a, a, a an understanding that uh, when one receives communion, there should be like a minimum, <laughs> minimal level of worthiness. Thank you, Pepino. All right. So where are we? Oh, okay, there's sorry. always been an understanding that there needs to be a minimum requirement of uh, of worthiness to right. receive the Holy Command. And it actually goes back to St. Paul. Uh, well, let's, let's stop right there for a second. Okay. So I know you're about to explain the minimum requirement for worthy, right. worthiness. Well, worthy reception is what worthy the, li- reception. Is the language. And we can talk about whether that language is the best language. It is you. absolutely not. Right. Because what I'm hoping you're about to say is something that has nothing to do with whether you are deserving or not, and more to do with, do you understand right. what you're participating in? No, nobody is deserving. And when we talk about, when, they, when the church is often talking about worthy reception, it is primarily about, are you properly disposed and do you have a, an understanding of what you're doing? So it, it all really goes back to St. Paul, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, where he talks about that there's a possibility of receiving the Lord unworthily. You know, uh, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So that has often been kind of the basis for a discussion about 
the, this understanding that, okay, there is a worthy way to receive and then there's an unworthy way to receive okay. communion. So that's a little bit of a different discussion than who can eat when they're at the table. So in the early church, um, but, they sorry. didn't really let anybody in who wasn't baptized. Uh, the, the Eucharist uh, communion is considered a sacrament of initiation. So baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation in the earliest days of the church, when somebody was received, in, you know, they, and they were coming from the pagan world. So they were going pagan to becoming a Christian. Mm. They were baptized. They received Holy Communion and they received uh, confirmation all in one ceremony. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you had not re received those sacraments of initiation, as they're called, that's what initiates you into the church, um, you didn't, you weren't allowed into the the Eucharist um, for a reason. It was a dangerous time. Mm. So in a time of persecutions, when being a Christian might be illegal, it would make sense deciding who gets to come in and who doesn't. And so the ones who, who were at the meal, the sacred meal, mm -hmm. the Eucharist, the mass, were the ones who had passed a test of loyalty is the wrong word, but they've been initiated into the mysteries of the faith so that they understood what it was they were doing, right. who they were receiving and who they were becoming in the Lord. And how does that translate to now? How yeah, that's the, that's the right question. But that I'm just giving you that as the origin okay. for why then- We love an origin story around here. Yeah, why <laughs> then some people were deemed as you shouldn't receive Holy Communion because you're not Catholic. And so they'll use that, you know, going back to the beginnings of, of the church when people were excluded, not because they weren't Catholic, but because they weren't anything but part of the pagan world. And they could possibly do harm to the congregation if they discovered that, you know, some Christians were discovered during a time of persecution. So Christians became more careful mm -hmm. about who they brought in and who they didn't bring in. Um, and there was obviously also, even in the early days, a sense that, you know, you had to know some things before you could come in. Um, but today, the question is, if everybody's to come to the table and everybody, but everybody doesn't get to eat, uh, it's a tough one because we don't live in that same world right. as the ancient Roman Empire. Well, and speaking of those who... All right. They're welcome to come to the table and um but they're not welcome to eat. I but mean they're that, not that welcome is to that eat. is so a fact. They're, they're welcome to sit there. They're welcome to head up any committee and throw their dollar in the basket, but they're not welcome to eat. And who, well, it depends on who you're talking about. Are you talking about non-Catholics or well, are you I'm talking not thinking about, about I'm not thinking about non-Catholics. That okay, my understanding with that um because they're Catholics, before we go through First Communion, we aren't allowed to eat at right. the table either. Because you, you haven't received that sacrament of initiation. Right. And we don't quite understand it. And I'm glad that I waited to right. receive it because it's something so beautiful, the transubstantiation, to 
to having God come into it. And it's no longer just a piece of bread. It's no longer just wine. And the beauty of that to fully understand it and embrace it is an incredible thing. So I'm, for me, I'm glad that I waited a little bit before I first took it. However, we would go up and receive the blessing and every, everyone's welcome for the blessing, right? right? Well, that is a practice in the United States. I'm not sure how much that's practiced outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's a way that we as a culture, because mm-hmm. we are, we want everybody to feel good about being in church with us, have uh, invited people to be part right. of a communion without actually giving them communion. So that's so children can come up right. across their arms. But that's it's not like that in other countries. It, it, not necessarily, and I would not know that for about every country. But I know other countries that's just well, they how, wouldn't understand. So how is if, it in if, your church though? It, Do you want? Yeah, yeah. When at Brescia, if somebody comes up with their arms crossed, I know to give them you the w- blessing. But you welcome right. that, or oh, sure, you, absolutely. So we don't in the states. Specifically at right. your church. Yeah, and we say it's that not- when we have the university, you know, we have a big opening school mass in the fall. And we say, you know, those of you that aren't Catholic, if you would want to present yourself for a blessing. And yeah. we tell them what to do. But if you go into a Greek rite church and cross your arms over your, mm-hmm. your, 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 your chest, they're going to assume you're receiving communion because that's how they receive communion. Right. So it's, so you know, it's a all, very everyone, Western American yes, thing. You've gotten your second vaccine. You've got your Greek vacation booked. You're on your way. You're going to mass. Don't do it if you're not Catholic. Well, because you, you're you, gonna they're you, gonna give it to you, and you're gonna have to know what to do with the host. Yeah, because they take the they have used leavened bread, and it's it, crouton shaped, and it's in a they pour it into the chalice into the, the precious blood, oh. and they use a spoon, and the person coming up to communion holds their hands over their chest cross, puts their head back, opens their mouth. And the priest drops the, uh, the 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 host that's soaked with the wine. Yeah, the there's blood. no way I would get in, that correct. In Greek, the Greek church, the Eastern church, also does something interesting. You said, you know, you didn't receive Holy Communion until you were a child. A first Holy Communion, and you understood what was going on in, in the Greek or the Eastern churches. They want to fully initiate you into the church at your birth, at when you're brought in as a baby. So when you're brought in to be baptized... In, in the Eastern churches, they baptize you, they give you a tiny little bit, a, a drop of the precious blood, I think, and they go ahead and confirm you as well. In Kentucky, we, we start with bourbon. We get it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But in, you know, in the Western church, we have baptism, and then about six or seven years old. So this is all, these are all Catholic churches. This these isn't are, these some would be weird the Eastern Rite Catholic Church, yep, would do that way, as would the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay. Uh, and the well, difference between the two know. is... In the Eastern churches, you have the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Eastern Catholic churches. They're almost indistinguishable in terms of their rituals, Mm. except the Eastern Catholic churches have accepted the Pope as Mm -hmm. the successor of Peter and and the Vicar of Christ, (laughs) but the Eastern Orthodox have not. They have a different understanding and concept of bishops. So for Catholics in the U.S., since we're a U.S. podcast and we're speaking to those who are maybe going along with their friend to Catholic church. What is acceptable? What is appreciated? What's well, manners? What do you suggest? Hi, sorry to interrupt. This conversation is a pretty big one. So we're going to finish it up on next week's episode. 
Tune in next Sunday for part two of who is invited to the Catholic table versus who is invited to eat. Before we go, let's join Father Larry for a closing prayer. All right, so we close with a prayer. So someone uh, said, this was not an email, but uh, verbal feedback. They said, I wish Father Larry wouldn't always read prayers. We'd like to hear him pray. And I, so I don't have a lot of words when I pray. Um, Wait, but I'll be you glad had a name for this and I loved it. What? Because the other day when I, you were like, all right, you brought it, you mentioned praying, pray. And you had a name for it and I loved it when you just go silent and the first person who feels the Holy Spirit has to. Well, talk. I think that's kind of part of Quaker spirituality. Quaker spirituality. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, that's, I'm that. Whoever's up, they, they say something. <laughs> but I'll give you an example of how I pray uh, without going to any words. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Merciful God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity to reach people through this podcast. May those who need to hear what we say, hear it and help us to be open to your call in all we do. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Just a few words. This podcast podcast is ended. ended. Love, Love, as you've been called to love. Called to love. And Godspeed.